All right. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. Again, I think I just said that a, a mere few seconds ago. And uh, happy Father's Day. Thanks to the musicians for the great music that we heard there. Uh, a little kid, someone asked him, uh, what is Father's Day? And he said, um, well, it's, it's uh, like Mother's Day. But you just don't spend as much money on the presents. And uh, maybe, maybe that is it. I don't know. But um, today... I want to take this time to say a word, a challenge to everybody uh, right out of Scripture from, from Christ our Lord, uh, but I want to extrapolate these principles and I want to put them onto the dads uh, as a challenge for what we do, how we treat our children. And uh, there's a rather long passage in Matthew, Matthew uh, 25, if you'll turn there. Uh, some of you know I do have a terminal attention deficit disorder. I may get lost in the middle of this. It's so long, but I'll, I'll catch up with you at the end. But read with me, if you will. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in His presence, and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from goats. He will place the sheep at His right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Well, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for you. Uh, prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me, and I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Tough words for all of us. Let me pray for these, these words here. God, take these words and penetrate our hearts with them, Lord. Reveal your truth to us as it applies to our own personal situations. In your name we pray. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I presided over a funeral. Uh, it was the funeral of my father-in-law. My wife Misty's father died uh, in the night at age uh, 67. And he was, um, he was quite a man. This uh, funeral was uh, standing room only in the chapel there, people standing all around the room. And uh, throughout this time, people stood up and, and spoke 
about this man who did some of the most miraculous things for the people who you would say were the least of these. Uh, my little boy Solomon, he spoke. I'll show you a picture of Solomon here. If we have that picture. There he is. Uh, Solomon, speaking at the funeral, he wrote out uh, before the funeral, he helps me feed the animals. He plays with me. He loves me. And I love him. Michael Bird. He did it under the least of these. There was a, a young man in the town there who came into uh, Mike's record store and and he was slow. He, he, he couldn't uh, speak to where people could understand him. He was a total reject, an outcast. And uh, my father-in-law took it upon himself to learn this young man's language, what those syllables meant, what he was trying to say, and spent hours being a father to one of the least of these because he got into his world and learned what he had to say. Imagine this being your legacy. The night before my father-in-law died, he was in Walmart standing in line, and the woman in front of him, uh, she didn't have enough money to pay for the things that were in her cart. And uh, my, my father-in-law uh, didn't have much money, but he took what he had, and he gave it to her and said, um, you take care of whatever it is you need to get. That's the kind of guy he was. He... Um, it was, not, it was not difficult to do his funeral because so many people had so many great things to say. It was very different than the time that I uh, did the funeral of a man who had nine wives. And all nine were at the funeral. And I think they were just there to make sure the old guy was really dead and that they were done with him. Uh, I did the best I could with the material I had. One guy came up to me afterwards and said, I'd like you to do my funeral. I said, well, why is that? He said, well, if you could make that jerk sound that good, I know you could do my funeral well. <laughs> but the funeral of my father-in-law was not that way. It was an amazing experience of honoring someone who truly understood what it was like to treat the least of these and meet their needs he was really on to something. And if we look at these behaviors, these, these acts that Jesus uh, focused on, that were the, these acts of personal service, that weren't these big things that you do for the masses, they, they weren't these big campaigns, but they were individual meeting of needs, that Jesus says, look, these are the things that matter to me. It's not about changing the world, but changing the world of one person, one at a time. And I think if we just took these and we extrapolate them onto our job as fathers, we come up with a pretty good model of how to raise our kids. So I want to go through these. And the first one is, I was hungry and you fed me. In most families, uh, it's the dad's job to bring home the bacon. Nitrates, sulfates, all that goes with the bacon, we, we bring it home. Other families are structured in a different way, and for whatever reason, uh, the, the mother or the wife, she's providing. But for most, it is a 
a father's job to meet the needs of a child and provide that basic need of food on the table. And um, I think it goes beyond just food. I, I think we have to, as, as parents, provide kids with what they're really hungering for. We had some teenagers over at the house this week, and I asked them, I said, what do you, what do you think teenagers are really hungering for? And, and one of those kids that is related to me said, a credit card. And um, I said, okay, I get that. But uh, Jamie was there, and she said, you know, kids hunger for unconditional love. And isn't it true that that's what our kids are just begging a father to provide? Time, attention, affection, encouragement. Those are the things that are, that, are, that are causing the hungers of our children. And when we meet them, we're not just meeting their needs, but we're doing it unto Jesus. Um, when I was growing up, it, it, was, um, it was not a pretty picture for me in school. I, I couldn't sit still. I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I couldn't concentrate. I... Um, to me, uh, you know, math was just, it was like arithmetic. Uh, there were just, it was all difficult. I was, I was overweight. I, um, I just didn't fit. But my father was a dad who gave me the one thing that I needed in the midst of all that struggle. He just gave me encouragement. He told me, you know, you can do this. You can, you can figure this out. You can make it work. He was there not rejecting, but providing support in spite of it all. And uh, when I became a man, I, he and I, would, we would shake hands uh, to acknowledge that I had made it to manhood, but then he would grab me and he would hug me and kiss me and just to let me know that I was always his child. He gave me what I hungered for, which was really encouragement. And so we have to ask ourselves as fathers, are we feeding our kids what they hunger for? The passage says that I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. Well, only the cruelest of fathers wouldn't give a child a cup of water. And in fact, in this church, uh, due to Darren's leadership, uh, dads, all of us have provided water for children all across the world when the... uh, Earthquake happened in Haiti. I mean, we were part of trucks trucking in fresh water so children would have fresh water to drink. And places like Sierra Leone and all around the world, wells have been dug because of the efforts here. But when it comes to our children, I think a father is called upon to provide something that a child thirsts for beyond just water. In fact, when Jesus spoke of it at Uh, at the well with this woman there, he said, I will give you a drink, and after you drink this, you will thirst no more. He was talking about spiritual water. It is our job as dads to provide the the salvation and uh, the, the spiritual nurturing and maturity of our children. And certainly we can teach that with words, but we We really teach it with the lives that we lead. Uh, Children are thirsty for spiritual things. 
And if a dad doesn't set the pace or the tone in the home, many times that is the area that a child lacks the most. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. Now, there are parents who still have children at home, and they're just waiting for them to uh, get their act together. Little Johnny, age 42, smoking pot, earbuds epoxied to the sides of the head there, and, and, and mommy and daddy are just uh, wanting and waiting for him to mature. And, and they might look at this verse and say, well, look, uh, you know, hey, you, this is what Jesus does. Uh, provides home. No, you know, the godly thing that we do as parents is that we teach kids to be responsible. And the, the thing right out of hell is enabling. Enabling is of Satan. When we enable evil in our home, which is, which is providing things uh, for a child that, that are evil, by allowing them to not accept responsibility for their, for their lives. We're, we're accountable for those things. But when you think about it, every baby that enters this world is a stranger that needs to be taken in. When little Amelia was born, uh, she had these huge eyes. And I, I told her that it was okay that she looked more like E.T. than, than a, a baby. But we were going to take her in. Uh, when you think about it, teenagers show up and you wonder, who is this stranger living in my home? And it's our job to, to take those strangers and provide what they need. And what they need is acceptance. Kids are looking for acceptance. And when we accept the least of these, our children, we are providing that, that same acceptance to Christ. At my father-in-law's funeral, there was a woman there. She said, my dad is 91 years old, and to this day, he rejects me every time I have to see him. He is abusive, verbally abusive to me. And she said, in contrast to this funeral where people are standing up, we will have a very difficult time filling the first row of my father's funeral." When we provide what God wants us to provide, to the least of these, we provide acceptance. And so we have to ask, are we accepting our children? I was naked, and you gave me clothing. Now, this is where kids declare that God is for Versace and Gucci and, and other things, but this is not brand name clothing uh, that Jesus is talking about here. It says... I was naked, and you gave me clothing. The first time we, we hear about nakedness is with Adam and Eve. And, um, and along with that nakedness came shame. And a lot of our children feel a tremendous amount of shame. Uh, some are born into shameful situations due to the mistakes of their parents. And I believe that it is our job to clothe our children in the grace that God has given us. That a child clothed in God's grace versus judgment and unrealistic expectations and just basic shame, the child that has grace 
can achieve so much for our Lord and be so much for our Lord. Uh, I'm, I'm on radio, I'll do a little plug here, on 98.7 at 1 p.m. weekdays, FM, WQME. And this week, we had a, a caller. He was talking about his wife, who I think she had had three affairs, and he was still with her. Most, most men, if a wife is unfaithful, they do not stay. Most wives, if a man is unfaithful, they do. But not only had he stayed, in one of these affairs, his wife had gotten pregnant and had a baby, a little girl. And, and he could have pushed her out into the fatherless generation. He could have uh, had the attitude of, this is her problem, not mine. She needs to take care of this child. But instead, he takes this little, this little child born into shame and clothes her with the grace of God and makes her his daughter. Some would say, oh, well, there's a reminder every day of this horrible affair. But to him, it was just a reminder of God's grace and love for him. I was naked and you gave me clothing. Are we clothing our children in grace? I was sick, and you cared for me. I see fathers taking care of their sick children. And, and so often, a child is born into a family that requires 24 hours of care. Uh, others, uh, a child is born with a, a birth defect or a, uh, some kind of mental disorder or emotional problem. And, and they're there for their kids. Whatever our children are born with, mental, emotional, physical, when we care for them, it is the same as caring for Jesus. He calls us to take care of the sick, no matter what, and especially when it comes to our kids. Back in the early 80s, my, uh, my parents received a phone call from my brother who was living in San Antonio and told them that he had been uh, admitted to the hospital and asked them to come and visit him there. And, of course, they, they rushed right over. He didn't tell them what was wrong. And when they arrived, there were these procedures they had to go through to visit my brother. They had to... Um, scrub up and put on a, a gown. This was back in the early 80s. They had to put on a, a mask, a surgical mask, gloves, and uh, because he was highly contagious. That's what it said on the door. Uh, they, they thought they knew their son, but indeed he was a stranger to them. And when they came in, he, he told them that, and they didn't know that at age 29 he was homosexual, that he had contracted the AIDS virus. And that back then, when you, um, when you contracted AIDS, it was, it was quite virulent, and, um, and you died. It was also a time of great fear, where people on Christian radio were saying you could catch this from mosquitoes, that it was God's wrath against the homosexual world and all sorts of things and houses were burned down uh, of some of the people that had AIDS and tremendous rejection and in the midst of all of that fear my father 
goes over to my brother's bed and leans down and hugs him and says, you are coming home with us. We're going to take care of you. And, um, And my brother died in my parents' home. There were other men in that little Southern Baptist church in that Texas town, redneck fathers, that I wondered what's their reaction going to be to this homosexual boy with AIDS in their town, in their community, in their church. It was incredible. They said, well, we're going to take care of this family and we're going to take care of this boy. And they went over to him and they laid hands on him and prayed for his healing. And they made sure that one of them was there every day for the rest of his life to minister to my family and to my brother. They even went so far as to pay for the medical expenses that weren't covered by insurance. A little Southern Baptist church doing that for the least of these, led by godly fathers. Whatever it is that, that sickens our children, whatever the disease, we're called by God to take care of the sick, the least of these. And then it says, I was in prison and you visited me. Sometimes the nightmare happens and a, and a child ends up in prison. I've counseled so many parents on you have to grieve the loss of the child you thought you had so that you can accept and love the child that you do have. And your child is in prison. And you need to be there with them and visit them. If you're to see any kind of change take place, you you get over what was and what might have been, and you deal with the reality of what is today. I had uh, lunch this week with a pastor of a, a, a church near here, And uh, he was talking about that 20 years ago, the first couple of color entered his predominantly white church. And uh, he was talking with them, and they were kind of celebrating their 20 years of being involved with this predominantly white church. And the pastor asked him, well, why did you choose 20 years ago to come to a church, they were the first couple. There was no one else there of color. And they said, well, it's because of our daughter. And the pastor said, well, I don't, I don't think I've ever met your daughter. I said, no, you, you haven't met our daughter because she, she's in prison. She's in a prison near here. And visiting hours are at 1 p.m. And there's no black church that's going to let out by 1 p.m. So, 20 years ago, we chose to go to this boring white church so that we could get out at noon to be there for our daughter at 1 p.m. Now, that's a dad. She's still there. It was a drug deal gone bad, and they still go, and they see her. But beyond those institutions, many of our children are imprisoned in inferiority and and uh, complexes, and they have eating disorders, or addictions, or, or, or they're just obsessed with fear. And it's our job as dads to get into those prisons with our children and help them deal with whatever it is that they're struggling with. 
and to break free of those prisons. Now, why wouldn't a father meet the needs of the least of these, his own children? Well, because he's, he's broken. Because probably he didn't have a good dad, or he had a horrible dad, or no father, or he's, he's obsessed with something. He, he's just a broken man. And, and I want to say that if that is you as a father, today it can all be turned around. Beginning today. I mean, you, you know, you, you can uh, go to the recovery group at 6.30 uh, on Friday nights here. You can get a counselor. You can, you can write a letter to your kids. You can ask God for forgiveness. You can do something to make this Father's Day the day when things start to change. If you haven't been able to provide because somebody didn't provide it for you. Why do we need to repair whatever's broken? Because Jesus is going home with you today and is riding in your back seat. Because Jesus wears a mask and that mask looks like the face of your children. And when we do it to our children, we are doing it unto Jesus. Now, we've been uh, in a series in James, and I just want to go back to James for a second here. The second chapter, 14 verse, it says this. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Faith without works is dead. And fathers who do not allow the love of God to come through them, through their children, the Bible says they're essentially no better than an unbeliever. It's a tremendous challenge for us to meet the needs of our kids. A couple of weeks ago, we had... Uh, some kids over. We were out in the boat. The uh, Shesky's kids were there and the Browns and, and some others. And uh, uh, we have a boat. I don't think, I think it's about 20 years old and it's touch and go anytime we take kids out. But we love to take kids out and inner tube and things like that. And we were out there and the boat just quit working. My wife was convinced that it was out of gas. So we phoned the marina and they uh, send the boat out and, uh, you know, we're drifting over to the shore there. And uh, the kids are in the water trying to make the best of it. The guy comes with gas. He puts gas in, and it doesn't start. So we, um, in our 20-year-old boat, have to be pulled back into the marina uh, to be captain of a broken ship like that. It's just a, a horrible source of shame uh, for me. And I had to point out to the kids, we'd see fast boats going by with kids being pulled by inner tubes, and I would say, hey, look, that's the kind of fun we'd be having right there. That's it. Look at that. Boy, this would have been great. You'd have loved it. So we get back to the marina, and uh, the, the, uh, 
the thing won't start, and more gas that doesn't help. They bring the mechanic over. And the mechanic walks up to the little box there on the side uh, where the gear is, and he looks down there, and there's a little red switch. It's, it's called the kill switch. It's the thing that, you know, if you, uh, well, you're supposed to attach a string to you and that, and so if you fall out of the boat, the boat stops. And uh, he just reaches down and uh, turns on the little kill switch there and uh, crank it up, and the boat starts uh, just like that. And uh, it's just exciting to have not thought of that uh, <laughs> in front of the kids and uh, trying to be, you know, the ultimate uh, fun guy. Doesn't matter how much gas you put in a boat. If the switch isn't on, it doesn't work. It does no good. No amount of prayer. And I was praying a lot. Lord, come on, please, please, God, please. It was just a switch. I believe that, that no matter what we do out in this world, this big world of ours, no matter how much power we have, no matter what kind of equipment we have, we have to flip the switch of God's love coming through us and, and to our children if we are truly to be men of faith, fathers who represent our Father in heaven. So those are my challenges to all of us dads today, really to all of us as people, to meet the needs of the least of these, to be the greatest of these in God's kingdom. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for dads, and thank you for every father that's ever sacrificed for his children. And Lord, uh, I pray for those who... The, the whole father thing is just such a such a nightmare because they didn't have a dad who represented you. I pray for their healing today. Now give us strength, Lord, and, and wisdom and even courage to leave here this morning and do for our children and other people's children to be fathers, meet the needs of the least. In your name I pray, amen. Amen.